there, and welcome back to my show. I'm Father Roderick, and this is The Break. Coming to you from a cold, kind of sunny and rainy Dutch country. What is it? Town? Where do I live? <laughs> it's weird weather. It's Fall is coming. I am bringing you this show without advertisements. Thanks to my patrons. They support me every month. If you want to join them, and if, if you can help, if that is within your means, um, take a look at uh, patreon.com slash fatherroderick. And this week, I want to uh, welcome two new patrons. We've got Daniel Smith and James Barkett. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Welcome to the community of patrons. I can't wait to meet you and to talk on our Discord server, which you get access to if you become a patron. Um, it, it's going to be a blast, I, I guarantee. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. We live in scary times. Um, and, of course, the war in Ukraine is having a global impact. Um, and it seems that the situation is only getting worse at least from the drama side of things. So now Putin has declared that he is annexing uh, parts of, of Ukraine, of course, completely against international law. And, uh, and he, is, he keeps threatening with, you know, using nuclear weapons, which, of course, would be catastrophic, no matter, you know, how many he will use and in, in, in which capacity... It is a, a nuclear attack, if it's small scale or, or, or big scale, it is going to have such an impact on the world because, of course, there will be an immediate retaliation. And we cannot imagine what is going to happen, what will be kind of this domino effect of such a move. And I have to be honest, it's scary. I am scared when I hear people talk about that. And it's, it, it just shows the... Just the, the idiocy of having nuclear weapons in this world in general. Like, yeah, it's meant to to scare other countries from not going over whatever line we, we draw in the sand. But we know that if you use them, it's going to be uh, horrible for, for thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. It will... Um, it will cause a chain reaction of other countries retaliating. And there are no winners. There can never be... That's, in fact, the case with, with this war in general. There can't be any winners. So what do you do when you feel scared like this? I, I ask myself this because as a priest, I'm supposed to bring you the good news. But how can you bring the good news in times where the bad news... The worrying news, the scary news is so overwhelming and makes you feel so small. And even as a priest, you know, sure, what can you do? Thoughts and prayers, right? And, and, and that seems so futile almost because these are um, things happening on a global scale uh, that we seem to have so little control over, if any control. So what do you do when, you, when you're scared? When, when you hear talk like that, I mean, I never, ever imagined 
that we'd, we would be in this situation. In fact, I grew up in a time of optimism. You know, in the 80s and 90s, it seemed like our economy was thriving. We had Star Wars. The computers were, were giving us all these new abilities to communicate with each other. There was this optimism around the internet. Like, the more people can meet each other and get to know each other, the more we will understand each other. And it's it's it turned out so differently. I'm not saying that all that progress has had no effect. In, f in fact, what I do, the work that I do as a priest on social media would have been impossible without all those advances. And for me, my life has become so rich and so, I don't know, so broad thanks to social media and thanks to what I, how I can join you. And if you're watching this or if you're listening to this, it means it works, right? And I, <laughs> we would never meet in, in, in real life if it hadn't been for this. So I'm not saying that that doesn't count, but this medium of the social media, the news, the, the spread of news, and the, the way in which people can tweak the news and even fake the news has also had the opposite effect. It has brought people in conflict with each other. It has uh, fanned the, the flames of conflict. And, and it's all about, you know, in whose bubble are you and who do you believe and who can you believe and who can you trust? And uh, it's all this discord and all this... Um, I'm not talking about discord as a service. I love discord. But it's all this, <laughs> you know, this strive and this opposition and the polarization in our societies that seem to make any optimistic view on life and on the future and on our current situation so naive almost. And so I, I wonder, what is my message as a priest? What should be our message as a church in, in this world that is so afraid and that is so polarized? And where people, because let's be honest, a lot of the, the, the fighting that goes on at the ugly side of the internet is ultimately, I think, uh, fed by, by fear. It's fear of the unknown, fear of other people that are different, that make different choices. And it's our inability to just let those people be and to respect them how they are. Wars start because one party does not respect the other party, or both parties don't respect one another. And, and so the only way in which they think they can get peace is by using force and using violence and, and by destroying the other party. But that, of course, never truly leads to happiness. And I believe that it's very important that Ukraine defends itself against the aggressor and that, that our world comes together and that we support one another in, in, in this situation. Um, but ultimately, war is always, um, is always a defeat of what we're called to be. As humans, God gave us the ability to talk to each other, to learn each other's languages. To We have a heart that can have empathy with other people and especially with our enemies. Isn't that what Jesus tells us time and again? You, you love your enemies. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy to do good to people that do good to you. But try to be good to people who are not doing good to you, who are not your friends. Try to forgive them. Try to understand them. Try to listen to them. Jesus constantly does that. He talks with everybody, not just with his disciples, people that are part of his bubble, his followers. <laughs> He's not just an influencer for the people that, you know, want his influence. 
but he tries to impact the lives of people that are very far away from his own life and, and maybe even culture. He talks to Samaritans. He talks to Pharisees and scribes that are trying to, to get him killed. He, he even talks to Romans, the, 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 this, this occupying force that makes life horrible and miserable for his own people. And, and yet, he talks with them. There are even Romans that are converting, that are changing their lives because of him, because of what he shows them. It's, and, and he never uses force. He never uses violence. He uses the persuasion of words. He talks. He listens. He dialogues. He, he challenges people, de- definitely. But he never mounts an army. He never uses his divine powers to crush people that don't agree with him. And we are called to follow his example and to be like him. And what, so what is the road that Jesus shows us or the way that he shows us out of this situation? It's to make the decision yourself to be like him and to do good in, in your own environment, in your own world, I cannot impact what's going on uh, in, in, in Ukraine right now. I cannot influence global politics. But I can try to live out my faith and to, do, to be good, even to people that I don't agree with or people that have hurt me. I can try to forgive. And that's hard. That's difficult. But it's, it's, it's all these, if I do that and you do that and we all start to do that, I think that that is also creating a domino effect. You have this escalation of, of aggression, of, you know, the nuclear threat. I, I show you my weapons, you show me yours, and then it's just going to get worse. But there's also an alternative to this, and that's if people start to, to, to listen to each other and to respect one another. We have all a dignity that is given to us because we're all children of the same Father in heaven. And there, all our regional differences and and political and and religious and cultural differences, to God that doesn't matter. He just wants to love us, and He hopes that we love Him back. That's the only thing that matters to God, and so that's what we should do, and we should trust that ultimately that domino effect is going to have a global impact. But if we start to do despair, if we start to let our lives be impacted by just fear. And, and, and we start to fear one another and we start to kind of join this crazy rat race of violence and incomprehension and, 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 or verbal violence, then we're not going to heal this world. We can only do that if we try to act every day in the way that Jesus acts. And how do we know how Jesus, what Jesus would do? We, we go to church, we, we read the Bible, we try to... Be inspired by him, and we ask ourselves every time, how can I become more like him? That would be my advice in these difficult times. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. One of the documentary series that I cannot resist whenever it's on on TV or when I find it on uh, any streaming medium is Anthony Bourdain's Travels. 
he's been creating these these travel documentaries. I say I should say he was creating these documentaries because unfortunately he killed himself a couple of years ago. And that was a huge shock to anyone who was following him and who had been following him for years. Um, but his programs and his travels are still being aired almost weekly and he still has a huge following. And as an aspiring documentary maker myself, I've been watching his uh his, his series for years. And I loved them. I so loved the style. It was so unlike any other documentary series or travel series that I knew. Because it, it was surprisingly personal. And what I also thought was fascinating, fascinating about Anthony Bourdain was that you saw him change over the years. Not only did he get better in telling stories, but he, it became more personal. His his interview techniques became, I think, a lot better because he was more engaged. He was more personal. It was not just about food. Actually, it was in, especially in the latter years, was rarely about food. Food was kind of the, the hook. It was the the thing that, that he was known for as a chef or a former chef. Um, but it was it was about the people and about the cultures that he helped us discover. It was about dialogue and and trying to learn from from people that you would otherwise never meet and it's that's why i love the medium of documentary um because it helps you if if you if you follow documentary makers you start to to broaden your own world they bring you to places where you could probably never travel yourself you get to see these personal accounts of people that are basically just like you they live in a different country yeah they may have different recipes, different culinary culture. Um, but there's so much to learn from them. And there's also so much to recognize in other people. And, and, and that's one of the things I think that Anthony Bourdain did better over the years. So the reason that I wanted to talk today about Anthony Bourdain is that I just watched a documentary that was um, uh, available on, um, on Amazon Prime. And it's called Roadrunner. And it's a film about the life and the career of Anthony Bourdain. So it's not a documentary series about food. It's not follow. Well, it is following uh, Anthony Bourdain during his travels, but it's behind the scenes. It's also what is going on. What brought him to to this point? What could have led to ultimately his uh, the moment that he that he felt that he couldn't go on anymore, and he decided to kill himself you know it's it's that's always for people that have gone through and i hope you you've never gone through a situation like that but i know friends people family members that have unfortunately have had that experience where some of their loved ones even in 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 my work as a priest you know sometimes that happens when people as i say euphemistically step out of this life but it's it always, always has a huge impact on people and it, it causes so much hurt. But then of course, there's always a lot of hurt in the person that decides to take that step. And, and so I'm, I, was, I was curious to see if this, this particular film would give us more insight in what led Anthony Bourdain, who was at the peak of his popularity, to, to do that. 
and to 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 not only impact the lives of the people that worked with him on a daily basis or you know his family his daughter his uh, former wife um uh, but but all of us just his this this global audience that he had um and and, and that was like me like what why what happened as what this film does really well is it it shows you a very i think a very nuanced complete picture it sh- doesn't only show you his successes uh, or his how he built his career. It also shows where he came from. It shows you, I think, in a very uh, brutal way sometimes, his flaws, the, the stuff that he struggled with. And a lot of that struggle was still going on inside, in, inside his head. But thanks to interviews with people that have known him very well, you get a bit of a, a, an inside, a glimpse of what was going on uh, in his life and and how his career also impacted um, I think ultimately all his decisions including his last one so it, it starts to show with uh, and this was new to me um, of course uh, Anthony Bourdain's career started with a book not with with documentaries he wrote um, uh, this kind of like insider's view of what was going on in in the kitchen of a chef, and uh, and that was very brutal. So it was funny, it was very insightful. This was uh, it, uh, when when you know books by chefs w- was not a thing yet. I think he was one of the first chefs who did that, and later on everybody started to write books. But um, it was part memoir, part like behind the scenes in the restaurant business, um, and what struck me was that Anthony Bourdain actually was more a writer than he was a, a presenter. And and you see him write at a very early age already, even before he had this massive success with the with his uh, with his first book, he was already writing. He would write to friends, he would write these long emails or letters. He would write in his diary. He would he, and, and he's a pretty good writer. He knows how to tell a story. And that's how he caught the interest of people that approached him and said, hey, would you like to do a series with us? Let's go and travel and we'll film it. And it's, it's funny to see how, uh, how simple everything started. Um, the two documentary makers uh, was, a, was a couple, a married couple. They were following him. Um, and it's still in the era of where everything was on tape. And you see those early documentaries and it's all like, oh my gosh, you cannot, it's, it's only 15 years ago maybe that we were still, you know, filming everything on tape and, and, and VHS would be the medium and Blu-ray, nobody had heard of it, let alone streaming. Uh, it's unbelievable how quickly um, our abilities to, to, to film and to to tell stories with and with beautiful shots and just the, the technology has advanced so much but also the quality of storytelling because those early documentaries you see them now and you're like wow yeah that's that's how we used to make television <laughs> but it's not that long ago and then over time you see him getting better and better so uh, the 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 film i think shows you that in in the beginning it was not at all his thing he was actually very bad at at interviewing people he would usually lock up when he was uh, he was supposed to interview people 
and then he would just sit the, at at the table and and he wouldn't talk. He would just would just say a few things like this food is good. And so the documentary makers really were like desperate. Oh my gosh, he's such a good writer, but he's just not a very good host. And so they try to push him and then of course at the moment he's a very kind of uh how do you say that strong-headed person so the more they push the more he just kind of stepped away and he was sometimes very difficult to handle but what he could do was write superb voiceovers and so he started to like after when they were in in already editing the footage they still needed to make a, a, a story and if you don't have good interview material it's very hard to make it a coherent story i know this from personal experience because as a, 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 a like a starting documentary maker i still don't consider myself to be uh but maybe it's, that's my imposter syndrome but i don't consider myself to be a documentary maker but i'm i'm getting there i'm, I'm learning um one of the one of the hardest things for me to do is always when i when i have filmed like for instance this past summer i was in italy so I filmed up almost every day. I filmed something. We would visit places. I would uh, try to show what I was seeing, but I didn't really have the occasion to interview other people. And so you come home with a lot of footage, and it all looks beautiful because it's Tuscany. I mean, what's not to love about about Tuscany? Um, but there's no story yet. And so the way you create a story is by writing. You write voiceovers, and and that's you kind of. Uh, tell the story in hindsight and that allows you sometimes to connect stuff that while you were filming it was basically unrelated um, and that was something that Anthony Bourdain could do like almost no other host um, and what I love and what I've learned from his style of writing is that he still made it very personal we're so used to these kind of very slick documentaries where uh, like in Tuscany, most people in the evening sit together with their family and have a wonderful meal. Pasta is always on the menu, of course, as is the second dish, which is usually meat or fish. Although vegetarian cuisine is also uh, getting more and more popular and more common in a country that wasn't used to that type of, of, of cooking. I'm, I'm just exaggerating a little bit. That's a very kind of disembodied narrator. And since that is what a lot of documentaries are doing, where you don't know who is making the documentary, you just see stuff, and then you've got this voice. Oftentimes, it's not even the maker; it's not the documentary maker, but it's a, it's just a um, a professional voiceover artist, and someone else, the editor or or the director, may write the text, and then there's this other person who has got a good voice and just reads the text. But of course, we now live in a time where traditional television is on the decline. And what has exploded over the years is this very personal vlogging style. If you look at a vlogger, I'm just calling him a vlogger, but he's much more than that. But if you look at a Casey Neistat, who is... Um, uh, making, who has been making vlogs on a daily basis for years, and actually it just went moved back to, to New York City... Uh, with his family, and, and he started to vlog again. Um, and what strikes me about his storytelling technique is how personal he makes it. It's always 
He's constantly the one who shows you the city. And that makes it so engaging because he's a very engaging personality. And it's not just him explaining stuff. No, it's don't tell, show. He takes you along. And then sometimes he will explain, but that's usually just a very small percentage of, of, of the overall vlog. Now, that personal style is something that Anthony Bourdain, through his voiceovers and through his, I think, his quality as a writer, was able to, to use already way before vlogging became a thing. And it's interesting, you always wonder, you know, was it the chicken or the egg? Who influenced who? But I think that his style of uh, making his travel documentary so personal, um, I think did have an impact or definitely mirrored the changing times. And now um, it's very hard, actually, to do conventional documentaries. And what I've learned from Anthony Bourdain is to not shy away from being very personal which is something that I, I did in when I was making TV programs. And oftentimes when I was writing, I was trying to explain. I was like the teacher. And now I realize, if now that I see how Anthony Bourdain was, was putting his heart and his opinions and his humor into his voiceovers, I'm thinking, yeah, that's the way to go for me as well. That's how you engage people and you make it a story and not just a lesson. So that that's something I definitely learned from from this from this uh, from this movie. And what I also found encouraging is that it shows how much practice makes perfect. Every year he got better, and every year he started to enjoy it more. And in fact, his work. As, and that's not something I want to emulate, but his work became also his, his refuge, his escape. Um, he had this very idealistic idea of, of, of starting a family and being the perfect father, and he tried hard for a couple of years, and then it started to scare him, or, or I don't know, he was, he was unable to balance his professional life and his family life. And so that relationship... Uh, ended, and, and and I think that that isolated him from every every. It's very hard if you have an ideal, and you are in a business where you are constantly supposed to be this bigger than life kind of guy, and that's what he became through his fame. He was like the Anthony Bourdain, an institution, but it made him feel like he had to get better every time and he had to, instead of focusing on what was his true dream, which was to be a good father. And I think he sacrificed his real dream to the dream that ultimately he assimilated from his fame, which I think is a, is a this, this movie is a, is a great warning uh, because it makes you, Think about your priorities. What is more important? Is it to reach millions of people, to become famous, to become successful, to have a career that everybody envies? What good is it to gain all that if you lose the things that truly make you happy? And when you see the footage of him as a father um, and, and with his kid growing up, you can tell that those are the moments that he was truly happy. And when he's traveling and when he's working on his career, it's a flight. It's, a, it's an escape. 
but you rarely see him happy. He is sometimes thrilled and excited, and there is a bit of that adrenaline rush, but that's not the same as happiness. And I think ultimately that is what broke him. He, he met this other woman, an Italian woman, and he got infatuated with her almost like a school kid. And then that never, that, that went nowhere. And when it became public that she had actually also other lovers, it broke his heart. He never got over that. And, and that's, you know, the, the breakup happened a year before he ultimately ended up killing himself. Which goes to show that even if you have millions of people that watch you all over the world and that admire you and, 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 and give you thumbs up and everything, if, if you don't have a personal life where you actually are really loved by people that know you, not just as a public persona, but as you are, that accept you, not just your successes or your income or whatever, your fame, but accept also your failures, your struggles. If you have friends or family where you can truly be yourself and where your, where your failures and your struggles are, are a reason for those people to love you more, that's, I think, how you ultimately become happy. And, 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 th- and happiness has nothing to do with having a, a life without worries or, or, or without struggle. I think every life, every person has, has struggles, even the Pope. But it helps so much if you, if you have a life, and that usually is the opposite of a public life. But you need to have friends, if only a few, that know you and that care for you and that love you as you are. If you have that all the rest is is bonus if you if you conquer the world but you lose your soul because you don't invest in those personal you know very personal close relationships then ultimately you end up with a life that is empty a life that doesn't fulfill no matter how much you fill it and so that's ultimately the biggest lesson that i learned from this film roadrunner is if if the road if your travels are just a flight, are just an escape, because you're afraid to commit to personal relationships, then that road is not a road you should take. Anyway, go check out that movie. It's on Amazon Prime, and it's hard to watch sometimes, but it's also incredibly impactful. (laughs) Catholics rock! It's time for a visit to the Peculiar Bunch, and this is the place where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you're afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Oh, meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And even if you don't want to go to your local pastor to ask that question, you can always ask me, even anonymously. I'm happy to give an answer. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I would like to talk about silence and the value of silence and how much silence 
is something that we all need more of in our lives, especially today. And the reason that I want to talk about this is a question that I got from one of my followers, actually one of my patrons on Discord. Um, and the question was, how does it work in monasteries where the brothers or the sisters that live there have, have um, pledged a vow of silence? What do they do when they get sick? Or when there is a fly in the soup, <laughs> they want to complain. How does that work? Can they never talk? How, for instance, a priest who has made a vow of of silence, um, how does that priest celebrate mass? Do you just whisper, or how does that work? Now, this is, I think, a common misconception about about monasteries in general. First of all, a vow of silence that is not really a thing. I would say. Yes, there are congregations, there are monasteries, there are certain types of monks that will live a life mostly in silence, where they don't speak. That's very rare, by the way. You've got hermits who will just spend most of their lives not talking. Um, and the idea behind that, of course, is silence is not just the absence of sound, but it's a space in which God can speak to you. And the more you shut up, <laughs> the more it will create an opportunity for you to start hearing God's voice better. But even in the monastic world, this is very rare. Most monasteries that I know, most brothers and sisters that live a monastic life can speak. They will still have lots and lots of silence in their lives, but it's not forbidden to talk. But even in those rare situations where Monks are living a life mostly in silence. It doesn't mean that they never can speak or that it would be whatever, uh, breaking their vows or, or a capital sin they need to confess whenever they utter a word. Now, in fact, in, in many situations, there will be times where they can talk and they will speak to one another. I know, uh, uh, for instance, uh, sisters um, in... Um, in, in, in a monastery that I visited several times to film, um, where the sisters will mostly spend the day in silence and in prayer, but every evening after supper, I think, they, they have an hour and it's the social hour. And they talk and they laugh and they sing songs and they play games and it, it's, they socialize. Uh, and then after that, they go to the chapel and they say the last prayer of the day and then it's silence again. And they won't speak, so it's 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 not it's not a contest <laughs> in those situations to not speak. There's this there's this joke um, where uh, and and this is of course a it's a story, so it has never happened about this monastery where the monks are allowed to only speak once a year, and they can only say one thing, and then they have to shut up. And it always takes place um, during a, 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 an evening meal. So there is this one evening where during dinner time, the monks can, uh, can, can say one thing. And so there's this one monk who raises his hand and the prior says, you may speak. And he says, there's a fly in my soup. And then silence again. And then th the next year... <laughs> 
comes around, and during when they're when they are dist- distributing the soup, there's another monk who raises his hand. He says, "There's also a fly in my soup." And then the year passes in total silence. And the third year, during the distribution of the soup, the prior himself raises uh, raises his hand and he says, "I would like to say something." Can we please stop all that complaining about flies in the soup? (laughs) Of course, that never happens. However, the point is, silence is an extremely underrated um, aspect of our lives. I don't know what your life looks like. I, I do know what my life has looked like for most of my life. And it was... Silence was super rare. I was always trying to entertain my ears in a certain way. So after the the emergence of podcasts, I would listen to podcasts every single waking moment of the day. Whenever I wasn't working, I was listening to a podcast. If I went out to go shopping, I would listen to a podcast. If I was on my bike on the way to church, I'd listen to a podcast. If I go would, would go out for a walk, I would listen to podcasts. Um, when when you get all the when we got all the streaming music services, I was listening to playlists all the time. Whenever I was, even if I was working at the computer, I would just put on my playlists uh, on Spotify and would just sing along with the music. And then I would had uh, all these smart speakers in my house, and I put them in groups, and I could say, "Hey, play this." playlist uh, on all speakers and then my entire house would be filled with music and I even created like a morning playlist an afternoon playlist and a dinner time playlist I even had like a, a reading playlist so I would play like really soft piano music very calm piano music while I was reading a book it's madness <laughs> it's so weird and I well a while ago, I think this was mostly uh, after I moved here. I moved in exactly one year ago, by the way. I'm recording this on the 1st of October, the Feast of St. Therese of Lisieux, my favorite saint. It's her fault that I'm a priest. <laughs> I keep saying that. Um, and I remember last year, on the 1st of October, I that was the day that I was adamant about staying in this house for the first time. We'd been working on renovating the house for, for months and I wanted to have my own house. So I, I, I put a mattress on the floor and I slept here. And then the house wasn't finished. So we still had to do a lot of work. But at least it was my house now. Still hadn't had... We didn't have heating. There was no internet. There was electricity. I didn't have TV. And, and I, I still fondly remember those early weeks here in this house. Because I didn't have internet... I couldn't, I, I hadn't set up my smart speakers. Most of my days were very quiet. Over uh, During the day, I would hear the sound of um, the, the people working on the renovation, so that would be a lot of noise. And then in the evening, it would just be so quiet. And there, there is a road next to my house, and that makes a lot of noise during the day. But then in the evening, traffic starts to diminish, and then it gets really, really quiet. And I love that silence. And, and it was not, I mean, I'm not trying to position myself here as a super pious monk who then would spend every moment in silence just praying and asking God, speak to me. No, I, I was just enjoying how, how quiet it was in the house 
And I would just sit in a chair and read a book. And and that would be it. I didn't need piano music in the background to enjoy the book. In fact, once I started reading, I just, I was in a different world anyway. Um, and then I started to apply that to other moments of the day as well. So I used to always, whenever I woke up, the first thing I would do was to grab my phone, start browsing, start listening to the the, the very first, usually uh, to news podcasts that were aired uh, or posted the evening before, and I wanted to catch up on what was happening in the world. And then I would continue to listen to that while I had my breakfast. I don't do that anymore. I don't grab my phone. I start usually by journaling. Um, so I've, I've started the bullet journal method, which I will talk about at some other time as well. Um, and that is deliberately, it's an offline thing. I just use pen and paper, which I've never done in my life. But I don't want to start my day with screens. I don't want to start my day with news. I just want to focus on, okay, so I have this entire day ahead of me. What am I going to do? What are my priorities? What didn't I do yesterday? Is it still important? Or can I just uh, cross that off my list? And and just having that, and it's just a, a short time. It's about, you know, breakfast, half an hour, uh, journaling, half an hour. But it's, it's an hour that I've come to cherish so much. And, and then, of course, I'll start listening to the news, usually when I start doing the dishes or whatever. And, but starting the day in silence has been a major game-changing. What? Game-changer? How do you say that? It's been game-changing, life-changing. Um, and I notice that the more silence I have during the day, the more I also miss it when it's not there. And um, during my summer holiday, I was talking with Father Henry, um, and I had, um, he invited me to join him um, during the Easter Vigil. And uh, Easter Vigil is, is the supreme moment of liturgy in the life of the Church. It's, it's usually a very, very long celebration, several hours. Um, and he wanted to know what I thought of that. And I told him, honestly, I... I had a hard time. I didn't like it at all. And he was like, what? You didn't like it? But it's a beautiful liturgy, and we had this choir, and, and I was like, that, that was the point. There was just so much going on, and it was nonstop. Talking, singing, talking, singing, moving around, lighting candles. It was just, there wasn't a single moment of silence during that celebration. And it was true. It was absolutely true. And, and I... I, I I told Father Henry, for me that is, I'm not used to that anymore. I, I used to celebrate like that, but it feels so, so we're, as if we're like rushing through that liturgy. We, we, we need to do so many things. We need to cross it off our list. And then once we've completed everything, we, we score maximum points. And I felt, but I felt like I, I haven't had a moment to let things sink in. We, we read a ton of readings. But you can't really think about that reading because immediately the the choir starts to sing and you need to sing along, right? And and then there is the homily, which I didn't have to do. Father Henry was doing a homily. But instead of having the time to, to think about that afterwards, immediately we went to the profession of our faith or the renewal of our, our, of our baptismal vows and whatnot. And there was just the entire time, even after communion... 
it's the most intimate moment of mass. And then it was immediately like the organ started to play and the choir started to sing like three orchestral pieces. And it was, it felt so busy and so much overkill. And I, 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 I said, honestly, next year, I don't think I'm going to join you for that Easter vigil because I need more silence in, in my mass. And then, um, it's something that I also try to always uh, uh, be be um, aware of when I'm celebrating myself, even if I'm just streaming mass on on YouTube. Um, it's to have these moments of silence, and it doesn't have to be ten minutes, but just a minute or so, or thirty seconds even. But taking a moment, like for instance, if you the opening prayer in in Catholic liturgy. You say, let us pray. And then what most priests do is, let us pray, oh Lord, you who blah, 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 blah. And we just, we start talking. Um, but the, um, it's the collection prayer. It's meant, you're meant to, and this is actually stipulated in the Missal, let us pray, followed by a silence. And during this silence, we all pray. And it's your, it's the prayer of the priest, it's the individual prayer of the parishioners. And then the worded prayer is like a, a, a collection of all these prayers and a, a formulation. But it's what the most important thing about that prayer is not the words, but it's the silence. And prayer is not just telling God stuff, but prayer is opening your heart so that he can tell you something. And oftentimes God doesn't even use words, but he will speak to you. And the more you create moments of silence in your life, and the more you evaluate your own spiritual journey, the more you will see that silence can actually give you much more insight in what God wants of you and asks of you than if you're just busy, busy filling your life with input and input and input. And, and, and it's even if you're not religious, uh, it's, it's, I think, well, I don't have scientific data, but I wouldn't be surprised if psychologists could, could uh, tell us that silence and having times of meditation in your life where you shut up <laughs> and you don't play music or you don't constantly bombard your own senses with information or entertainment, that that can have a very, very beneficial effect on your overall mental health let alone on your spiritual health. So this would be my, my, my tip for this week, for this upcoming week. Try to find a few moments, maybe three moments during the day where you resist your own urge to fill it with noise. There will be a lot of noise that you cannot escape. There will be a lot of stuff that you have to keep track of. But if you can, try to find three moments, maybe in the morning, maybe during lunchtime or after lunchtime, and maybe before you go to bed, find a few minutes of silence and see how that impacts you. And if you, even if you don't like it, because people get nervous when, when it's quiet, and especially if you've been addicted to, to noise and music like I have been for many years of my life, it will feel a bit unsettling, but I guarantee you, if you keep at it, it will become super precious to you, super valuable. So try it out. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? 
last night. The packet, the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I'm having something in my hands here, and I'm so proud of this. <laughs> this is my very first bullet journal. And um, it is basically um, a collection of pages, about 160 pages. It's got an awful, like, cringe-inducing pink color with flowers and butterflies on it. This is clearly geared towards, I would say, teenage girls. <laughs> it's got a ribbon, like an elastic ribbon, uh, that is also like a darker shade of pink that holds it together. And um, it's got a metal ring system, so if you open the pages, it can lay flat on the table. The pages themselves are, are white, but if you look closer you you see that there are actually a lots and lots and lots of tiny dots on the page no lines just dots and they're about i would say half a centimeter apart what is that in inches i don't know just a tiny little bit apart and so the dots themselves are barely visible but they are super uh useful if you're writing um because they will still give you a bit of like orientation. Normally, if I try to write on, on white pages, my handwriting goes all over the place. Actually, I have terrible handwriting. So I switched at one point to just capital letters or what do you call that? Anyway, um, but then having these dots allows me to, to be very, um, I don't know, just to write in a legible way. Now, I'm using this. The reason that I bought this is, first of all, I needed a bullet journal and um, I tried to find something that was affordable because I, I wasn't sure that, that bullet journaling or boojoing, that's how they, the bullet journal addicts call it, uh, would be something for me. But I, I read this book uh, called The Bullet Journal Method. It's written by Ryder Carroll. And I was, uh, I, I already talked about this, I think, on the... Uh, this week's episode of The Walk. So if you go to your podcast software and you type in The Walk with Father Roderick, you'll be able to uh, to check out that um, that episode. Um, and this this uh, what fascinated me about this this method is um, that this is not just about time management, but it's all about evaluating your life and your priorities and it's been super helpful for me so i've been um, using the last days of september to to kind of uh, start start working on the journal you need to uh, make some um, uh, pages that are dedicated to an index and this is all offline so it's the method is really not for people who'd like to blog or or uh, journal on on their laptop or uh, on their iPad. I, I still do that every day. Um, but this is different. Actually, the writing, the handwriting itself is a is an integral aspect of the of the method because writing itself, the effort that you have to put into writing is actually helps you. Um, I'll explain in a minute how. So you create an index, four pages, and that is usually, it's, it's, it, this bullet journal is meant to last for about a year. Um, and in the index, you can write, okay, so you, you 
you number your pages. Um, and, and it helps you to say, well, hey, this month is on page so-and-so. Or if you have uh, part of your journal, maybe projects, you could say, hey, this, this project is described uh, on, on page so-and-so. So you need to index. And then it starts, and this is fascinating, starts with a future log. A future log is um, two spreads, so four pages in total. And you divide those spreads into six uh, months. And in this future log, you write something that you actually are supposed to prepare before you start filling in your journal. And that is you make a list of, I also explained this in the walk, so uh, my apologies if this is a bit redundant for those of you that listened to that episode. You make three columns. In one column, you write down, and you have to be very honest, what am I currently doing? What am I working on? How am I filling my days, basically? And just, you write down everything. The middle column is, what should I be doing? You know, what is on my to-do list, but I'm not actually doing it. It's, it's like all the stuff that I know is important, but I'm not doing it, but I should do it. And then in the third column, you write down, what would I rather be doing? So that's about dreams. It's about long-term goals. And, and so it's only the first column that gives you a mirror and shows you, well, all those, it's nice to have dreams, it's nice to know your priorities, but if it's not something you're actually doing, then it's as if it doesn't exist. So, of course, the trick is then to figure out that how do I get all those things that I wrote down, and they're all important to me. If they weren't important, I wouldn't be doing them. If they weren't important, I wouldn't say that I should be working on them. And if they weren't important, they wouldn't be part of my dreams, right? So you go through that list and you ask after everything that you wrote down, is like, well, why am I doing this? Is this really important? Or am I just doing this because I've always done it like that? And and so and, and you're you're invited to be brutally honest about that and to be as and very strict because it's all about ultimately how am I going to spend my time? What am I going to do with this one life that has been given to me? And every day you spend on this planet is a day that will never come back. And so the things that you're actually committing, committing yourself to had rather be really valuable to you or to, to the people around you. If not, they should go. Now, once you've done that exercise about kind of uh, filtering out what is truly important to you, you then start to add that to your future log. You basically say, this is when I want to do this. Now, of course, this may change over time, but you have to kind of put it somewhere. If it's not in your future log, then it's probably not important. And it's only about a year. So you're not going to plan for next year. Sure, you can have these ongoing dreams, but it's, it's, it's like, like, I would like to retire with a, a million dollars in the bank. That's a nice dream, but you'd rather you had better start working in the the upcoming months on on very specific ways and steps towards that goal. So anyway, that's that's how you create that future log, and then you start basically with um, the 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 month to come. For me, that's October, and on one page you put all the days of October, and on the right side you make of the spread you make a list of all the things you want to get done in this month. It's only one page for a reason, so that you don't overcommit yourself. Because a month may seem very long, but it goes by very quickly. So here on my right side, let me just read to you what I've, wrote, what I've written here. 
Um, so I, I want to commit myself in October to record the break weekly. I already did that, but I still wrote it down. Um, I, I want to do one thing differently this week or this month, and that is I want to create these separate segments. Um, I always had segments in my show, but I want to record them in such a way that I can also cut them out and post repost them um, as individual videos. So that's that's the only new commitment. Uh, requires a little bit more preparation. Um, then I want to uh, record a number of story secret podcasts or story secrets podcasts, which is the podcast that I record for my for my patrons. Um, and this month it's going to be focused on Andor, the new Star Wars series. So I wrote down I have to ra- uh, record uh, one episode where I talk about the four. Uh, current, currently available episodes of Andor, and then every week I want to do a commentary on the subsequent uh, um, episodes. Uh, I wrote down anime shorts, TikTok. That's important for me to con- keep keep connecting with that audience. Um, every week I will assist in one of the parish churches here. Uh, twice a week I commit myself to run and to go to my training group, to join my training group. That's a commitment. Twice a week, on Tuesday evening and on Saturday morning. Um, I also, and this is this is where it gets scary, I want to commit myself to doing, and this is an experiment, to, do, to go live every day of the week at 5 a.m., daily. And I want to go live to be able to connect with my audience, and that can be a TikTok audience, can be YouTube, it can be you, can be on podcast, can be by patrons. But no matter what happens, every day at five, between five and five, let's say five forty-five, I want to be there for my audience, so they can ask questions. And and it's not going to be just a live stream of me recording a podcast like I'm doing when I'm recording the break. No, it it's actually going to be going to be an encounter. You can ask me questions. We'll just have fun, talk about stuff. Anyway, so every day. And then I also commit myself to stream Mass every Sunday uh, for an international audience. So that's what I've currently here. There are going to be more items on this list. It's just that I ran out of time this morning. So that, And then you move that, okay, so approximately how am I going to divide that over the month? And then that's where the real thing happens. And this is where the book is so important because it talks you not only through the steps of how to do your daily logging, um, but also the second half of the book is all about why is this important and how does this change you? And the, the trick is to keep doing this for several months. That's already in itself a huge commitment. Um, but seeing how much journaling every day has impacted my life in a positive way and that's freeform journaling. It's what I do on my iPad. Um, I want to give this a chance and commit myself until the end of the year to do this every single day. And so once you start doing the, the daily logging of your activities, you use very simple symbols like a dot is this is a commitment. This is something I need to do. It's a task. I, at the end of the day, you cross it off or you say, hey, I'm going to move this over to the next day or... I'm never going to do this this month. I'm going to move it back to the future log because it's <laughs> life's too busy. So you always, like every task that is on your daily list, 
will get evaluated. And that's the strength of the system. It can also be that you realize at the end of the day, hey, I put this task down, but I didn't get around to doing it. And you know what? It's really not important. I will just cross it off. And it, it just disappears from my life. So it, it helps you to constantly evaluate what you do. You can also use that daily log or that, that you know, daily list of bullet points to write down your thoughts. And you just use a little trait, like a, uh, just a little, what is it? Horizontal, how do you call that? I don't know. <laughs> A horizontal thing <laughs> and then you but you can just then but the reason is you do it in bullet points so you make it it's not a long form it's not a big story it's just hey i had this thought or i just heard this amazing it, i had this amazing insight i just try to write it in one phrase so i can always find it back later on um if you have appointments or events you you do an open circle and that's that's just something that happens so like my I don't know, uh, I've got a dinner with friends or well, having a board game evening, that's an event. So you, you mark that down. And then over time, you start to, if you do that every day, you get much more grip on, your, on, on what you do and how you fill your days. It gives you the accomplishment, this feeling of gratification when you actually have been able to, to accomplish all your tasks. And it's this ongoing quest to evaluate is this really worth my time? Is this worth being in my life? And every month you look at, before you start, and actually you should do that every day, you take a look at what were my monthly goals here? So you, you don't lose track of that. You may even glance at your future log. What did I write down here for this month? Um, what's coming up next month? And so you also never lose track of the big goals in your life, your dreams, because it's always there. And before you start making the bullet points, you 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 look you look through that list and you you remind yourself, oh, this is what I truly want to do. This is this is my dream. I should never lose track of my dream. But it means if I want to keep that dream alive, I have to translate that into daily actions towards that goal, towards the realization of that dream. And with that, we've come to the end of another episode of The Break with Father Roderick. Sorry that, that I was a little bit, uh, maybe a bit um, wordy from time to time. But it's probably also because I'm trying to do these kind of well-rounded segments. I'd rather go in-depth a little bit more and take a bit more time and to rush over stuff just to get to the end of my list. And I've got a lot of other topics that I would like to talk about, but they can all wait and, uh, until the next time we meet again. If you want to meet me more often than just once a week, I invite you to follow me on social media. I'm Father Roderick almost everywhere. And um, make sure that if you watch this on YouTube to like and subscribe, because that's how you get notified whenever I go live or whenever there's a new video. And also, let me know if you have any questions for me, suggestions, reactions. Let me know in the comments as well. Uh, if you're a part of my Patreon community, you can always also reach me through discord i go there every day it's my favorite place to hang out with you i want to end with a inspirational thought from star wars andor and it comes from an imperial major major partagas and he says the longer we wait to identify a disorder the harder it is to treat the disease now he uses that as an imperial in a very negative way but i think it's also true for yourself 
Sometimes try to evaluate your life and see what doesn't work and address it right away so that it doesn't get out of hand. Thanks for listening. See you next week. God bless.